0: Welcome back to Call Time with Katie Berenbaum. Thanks for listening to last week's episode. And funnily enough, we have a chain streak going on these last few weeks and episodes because today we're chatting with yet another amazing person involved with the show, which just closed this past weekend. This time, I'm talking with the amazing production manager, Rob Signum. Welcome to the show, Rob.
1: Thank you so much, Katie.
0: So happy you're here. So happy I cleared up the pronunciation of your last name in advance. (laughs) But is it a toughie or do most people figure it out? Were you surprised that I asked?
1: No, no. I get asked all the time, actually. And also a lot of misspellings. When I just tell people Mm. what it is, if I don't spell it out, people... Do all sorts of strange, maybe I think they're strange and they think they're normal spellings, but no, it happens.
0: Well, as I've made this joke on the show before, but like as someone with a quite a difficult last name, I I feel your I feel your pain and I'm very happy you're here. Before we go on, I wanna introduce the listeners to you who may not be familiar with you. Rob is a production and stage manager for theater, dance, and opera. He has been the production manager for Signature Theater, Aspen Opera Theater Center, Gotham Chamber Opera, and Ensemble Studio Theater. He co-founded Intuitive Theatricals, a company that provides top-notch production management services to theater, opera, and dance companies from the gestation of a project through its closing. Intuitive has serviced companies like Tri-Cities Opera, Opera Saratoga, Opera Naples, The Cell, international wow the bronx opera and of course now the mid theater in addition to all of this rob is a curator for america's packard museum the only american packard automotive museum operating out of a restored dealership i barely know what any of those words means so we will definitely have to discuss <laughs> that so am i am i missing anything major from your bio
1: no no i think oh maybe as a point of order it's actually called intuitive production management it's a company that Scott Schneider and I founded in two thousand and seventeen and is five years old. And we've been having a lot of fun. We like to work with opera companies and off-Broadway theater companies, both straight plays, new plays, revivals, as well as musicals. And it's really been a labor of love for us and really a great experience working with Mint Theatre Company,
0: yeah, it was really great. and and a big reason why I wanted to have you on the show was, was how great an experience it was working with you, even though I was only playing a small part, but also because I, you know, I, you know, this, I started as an actor. Now I direct, I do a little bit of it all, but because of that, I was not frankly really clear as to what a production manager is, especially when distinguishing it from say a stage manager. And I know you started as a stage manager, so for many of my guests, I start at the beginning of their careers. But before I get into that, I want to ask you, talk to me like I'm a total idiot. What is a production manager and how is it different from a stage manager?
1: Sure. Yeah. So um, a production manager really handles all the less glamorous parts of the theater world are the principal point of contact for all of the different departments. We handle the schedule. We monitor the budget. We do most of the hiring. We manage the payroll. We have to do HR and paperwork stuff. Also, all of the logistics. Making sure the set gets built in a timely fashion and delivered. Also, renting the lighting equipment and audio and video equipment. Supervising the costume builds and rentals. Boxing them up and sending them back like we were doing yesterday and today over at Theatre Row. It's not something that you get a lot of accolades and fame for if you like standing ovations I don't recommend it but you definitely get handshakes and squeezes on the shoulder by the people that I think really matter and that is the design team the directorial team the performers you you get the standing ovations backstage as opposed to on the stage which is nice
0: does every production that people would see have a production manager? Or is this sort of a thing for theater companies specifically, or opera companies specifically? Like, does a Broadway show have a production manager?
1: Every Broadway show has a production manager. That's definitely something that happened in the late 70s, 80s, 90s. In the 90s and 2000s, that's when off-Broadway shows started having a production manager. Almost every off-Broadway show started having a production manager, when it became necessary, when it became clear that there were more needs on an off-Broadway production than there had been previously, if those shows had more sophisticated design elements, if there were a lot of moving pieces. Also, there was a time when producers and stage managers sort of shared those roles and would help each other out to get those jobs done. Actors Mm -hmm. Equity stepped in at one point and said, okay, stage managers can't do that anymore. For a while, they said, if they do that, you have to pay them extra. And then they said, no, that's a separate job because it took them away from being great stage managers.
0: Yeah. When you were listing the things that a typical production manager does, I was sort of counting in my head, like, that seems like a producer's job. Oh, that seems like a stage manager's job, which is super interesting. Are you in a union? Is there like a production management union?
1: Another great question. There isn't, in fact, one of the only positions at this level for which there isn't a union. Hmm. Designers have the USA, United Scenic Artists Union. Broadway shows have a union for crew, IATSE. Performers, obviously, it's actors' equity. Opera singers, that's AGMA. And directors have CV, but production managers have no union. The labor thinks that we're a management position, and mm-hmm. the management still puts in with the labor. So we're right in the middle.
0: What also, when thinking about those different skills that you mentioned, some of which are sort of more producer land, some of which are more stage manager land, because of that, what do you think makes a good production manager?
1: Hmm. Really, I think the most important thing is cool under pressure, because especially in this business, we are making decisions often based on emotion and intention rather than logic or sort of a standard set of priorities. Our emotion really feeds into how we do what we do, what our priorities become. And sometimes that means that tension in the rehearsal room or the theater can mount very quickly. And it's the production manager's job to diffuse that tension, to respond with a lot of calm sensitivity to those issues and ensure that everybody's voice is heard and everybody's problems are addressed. That doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's problems are resolved, right. but it does mean that everybody gets a voice in the room and we examine options before we make decisions. Being open-minded is another part of that. Being creative as a problem solver is a huge part of that. But really the ability to absorb energy and to respond with calm, centered, direct energy back is something that I look for in colleagues when I'm working with production managers.
0: Yeah, I mean... Obviously, the production management schedule encompasses a lot more. But I feel like I, you know, see the production managers the most during tech. And we think of tech as being the most stressful time. I mean, I think this way about like designers, too, because they sort of come in during tech. Anybody who makes their bread and butter in tech and like load in and load out. I have just so much respect for because it's such, I mean, we were even just talking about this difficult loadout, like it is tough work. It's so stressful and the hours are really intense. And as you say, lots of different personalities. So I'm sure we'll get into all of those sort of horror stories later.
1: That's such a nice compliment. I just had to say, thank you so much.
0: Oh, Oh my God. I, I mean it. I mean, it's a job that I find really interesting because I feel like I have some of the skills like organization and things like that. And I think it sounds really interesting, but I don't think I could ever do it. Also the hours, like you must be such a night owl.
1: Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's about getting up early and staying out late. It means that I'm not, I don't get a lot of sleep and luckily I'm not a big sleeper. so.
0: Also a great skill. How did you get into this field?
1: Okay, yeah, sort of what I was saying before, that I was a production stage manager, an equity member. Actually, I started just doing non-equity off-Broadway and worked my way up to work with some really great equity companies as stage manager. Big shout out to the Civilians and to Waterwell, excellent New York City companies pursuing new work. And after several years doing that, I realized that the companies had asked me if I would do a lot of these production management type jobs, I would be renting trucks, picking up lumber, hiring carpenters and electricians, running out to New Jersey to Rosebrand or to Forwall to pick up rental goods. And after a while, first of all, I will say that I enjoy doing those things because I'm an adventurous spirit. I don't mind driving, a van in New York City, which most people think is crazy talk. I'm fairly confident when it comes to calling up people and asking them if they want to work for a couple of days on a theatrical show. And I really didn't have any formal training as a production manager. I just used my experience as a stage manager, coupled with my desire to do this extra work. And I realized after four or five or six shows doing it, that I was doing the production manager's job. And so then I asked for credit in the program as additional compensation. And then ultimately I asked for credit in the program plus a little bit more money as compensation. And then I stopped stage managing less and I started just production managing more. And there was this transition that was a little bumpy sometimes, but I really found to be a good way for me to learn on the job. I did some assistant production manager work and learned from some really great production managers, both here in New York and regionally. I travel a lot for work, by the way. I should put that in there. We can talk more about that later. But yeah, I spent about three, three and a half to four years transitioning from all stage management to all production management. I've stage managed a couple of little one-off things, industrials, corporate events, I haven't stage managed a full production since 2015.
0: And is that a common track, do you think? Like, do you think most production managers started as production stage managers? Or is that sort of changing with time now?
1: Well, I think it's common for people who are of my age group, you know, and I'm 41. And I know... Uh, production managers who are a little older than me and a little younger than I am who definitely followed that track and I think that that was also part of the industry changing its idea about needing production managers for almost every show that that happened a lot in the 90s and the early 2000s and we were sort of swept up in that and there were a lot of stage managers who were saying am I going to do this forever what's the next step And that became a next step for a lot of us. So, yes, I would say it is a very common track. Although now I find that more young people are able to study production management at college, which when I was at NYU, there was no production management class. Right. A couple of our younger folks who work with us came to us directly from university, wanting to be production managers right off the bat, uh, which kind of blew my mind at first. And now it's sort of refreshing that they're teaching those skills at the college level.
0: Well, it just shows with time comes increased specialization. Like, I feel like the roots of theater when it was sort of vaudeville, the stage manager was like a random guy off the street who just sort of like looped the actors in. and And now as it gets more professional, people get more specialized. And I think that's that's only a good thing hopefully but that is that is interesting that people can now study it i know did you get a degree in in just drama
1: yeah it was very general in fact i went to nyu to be a performer and after a couple of years i really changed my mind about what i wanted to do with my life i really enjoyed being backstage i also really enjoy theater history i've been a history nerd since i was Old enough to know what a nerd was. So I love, you know, Shaw and Sheridan and Shakespeare. I love early plays, Greek and Roman, and I love things in French and other languages. But really, I didn't realize that there were so many compelling careers in the theater until I went to college. And when I was exposed to that, working on semi-professional things with professional performers who came in to work with us in undergrad. Then I realized the all of the myriad jobs that were available in theater and realized that I was actually more compatible in the stage management and production management world.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty common. Almost every person that I interview who works in theater but is not an actor Playwrights, directors, production managers, whoever, almost everyone starts as a performer. And I think that transition is is really interesting because you think you think theater, you think actor, whatever it is. Yeah. Was there an experience you had in college or right after college that sort of solidified for you? Like, oh, no, I don't want to be a performer. I want to do this other thing.
1: Well, I guess it's silly, but somebody offered me some money to do... Fair stage management job. (laughs) And I was, I mean, I was waiting tables and bartending in the West Village, which was, you know, decent cash money, but somebody wanted to offer me $200 a week to be an assistant stage manager. I mean, that was in 19, no, I guess it was 20, uh, 2001, really $200 a week. That was amazing money to do what I loved for a living. Right. and. So I told the Spanish restaurant that I needed to have a flexible schedule, and I did my first show as a professional assistant stage manager at the Barrow Street Theater. It's had some other names since then, but and it was a production where I was dressed in a bellhop outfit and had to change the set on stage in costume in full view. There was a dog in the show that bit me backstage several times. Oh, it was terrible. But I still, I still loved it. I still felt like I was part of the action and got to work with some amazing people.
0: Well, A, you were still performing because you had a legit costume and you had to like be yes. Awesome. And B, I bet if you were the production manager, you would have a better trained dog because that sounds <laughs> like it's not a very well trained dog. Yes. But I love that. Does the restaurant still exist that you were working at?
1: Oh, sadly, no, I loved that restaurant. It had been there since, I want to say 1927. Famous, Famous, that's a Spanish restaurant called El Faro. I did an incredible play with the Ensemble Studio Theater, which was written by Joe Guilford, who was the famous comedian Jack Guilford's son. And Jack and I were talking about the restaurant. He said, oh, I know that place. When my dad was dating Lena Horne, they went on a date there. And I'm thinking, what? Oh, my God. My father found that restaurant when he was working in New York in the 70s and used to take us there when we were kids. And I actually had my first date with my wife there, too, 14 years ago. So it has a lot of special memories in my heart. But sadly, they closed in 2012.
0: Oh, that's so sad. But also such a piece of history. It's probably like a Banana Republic there or something else sad. Right. Because you know your career is so interesting we went sort of a roundabout way usually I start with people growing up and what their first exposure to theater was so and clearly you were exposed to theater it's what made you want to go to NYU and then set you on this path is there a show that you saw or a show you did when you were young that made you say like this is what I want to do or it could be opera because I know you are interested in that opera too
1: well, yeah, there's actually two things that come to mind. One is that my mom took me to see Tosca when I was five. And my parents were famous for taking me to see Age Inappropriate Stuff, which I, I loved.
0: Yeah. And
1: Yeah. And I think some of my parents' friends and my teachers were a little horrified about, but they were cool. And mom asked me after, you know, the end of the show and Tos- Tosca jumps off the Castello Sant'Angelo, commits suicide, you know, if I was okay... And did I, w- did I worry about that woman, Tosca? And I said, no, I don't worry about her. Look, she's here for the curtain call. She's here. She's fine. She's just fine. So <laughs> I knew that theater was still, you know, fantasy and imagination. And it was just, you know, the two hours traffic of our stage. Right. And I I grew to love opera at a very early age. And because of this, my parents, who actually visited New York with some frequency from Dayton, Ohio, was is where I grew up, actually. they thought that they were taking me to see Madame Butterfly when I was nine. Well, it was actually David Henry Huang's M. Butterfly, complete with full frontal male nudity, which for my Midwestern parents was a bit much. But I thought that play was just fantastic. And, you know, B.D. Wong, John Lithgow. And I was hooked on the professional theater at a very early age. It was exactly what I wanted to do with my life. My father, who was a Corporate litigating attorney and my mother, who was a big time businesswoman, they were sort of horrified (laughs) that I wanted to run off away, run away and join the circus, as they called it. But I convinced them when I was in my teenage years, 16, 17, that I would actually have a career in the theater. You know, my mom said to me recently, We always thought you'd be back after three or four years.
0: (laughs) Wow. Wow. It's tough. When was there a moment you feel like they were convinced that this, oh. you're, like, our son's good? Like, he's fine. His career is fine.
1: I played Malvolio in a youth production of Twelfth Night when I was 17. And I really enjoyed that character. There's something, you know, deeply strange dark and sad about that character that actually his his sort of evilness his darkness comes from his deep sadness and his you know being a misanthrope yeah and and I really was able to tap into that and I think that I did a very good job and my dad came back from that show and said all right, well, let's take a look at art schools. I'm I'm suitably impressed. And also I had said to him at one point, Dad, you're a litigator. I mean, you act in front of juries all the time. I don't know why this is such a hard concept for you.
0: Yeah, it's That's- funny. My dad is also a litigator and and my mom works in communications and crises. And people are always like, Where'd theater come from for you? And I'm like, they both have the theater gene; it just manifested in different ways
1: different ways exactly
0: I'm sure it also pleased your parents when you co-founded and started this company with Scott can you tell me about that formation and it also sort of seems to me maybe I'm extrapolating but it seems to me that you you found it intuitive at a time or in response to production management becoming more of a like thing that every production needs. AKA you were filling a niche. So tell me about, about that process and starting your own venture. Cause it's a risky, risky concept.
1: Yeah. Oh boy. And you know, owning your own small business in America is not easy. Owning your own small business in New York city. That's a theater business. It's even more risky, but.
0: Late right. on that, And it's a recipe for a disaster, but so far you guys are doing well.
1: So far, so good. Yeah. I mean, it is definitely a challenge every day. We are just past our fifth anniversary. So we're very happy that we weathered the storm of the COVID theatrical hiatus so well. And now things are really going great guns. We're so busy with work. We're hiring people left and right. We have non-union crews that we work with over 75 people that are on our payroll that we work with on a regular basis. We're actually a local one signatory. So when that Broadway show comes along and says, hey, intuitive, we're ready to work with you. We're ready to work with them. But yeah, it's been... What does
0: that mean? I'm sorry. What Can you expand on what that means?
1: Sure. So all the stage crew on a Broadway show have to be International Association of Theatrical Stage Employees local one members. So to say that you're a local one signatory means that we can call up the local IATSE union and say, okay, we're going to be working with you on this production. On Monday, we need 10 electricians, five stagehands, three AV, all of these different crew positions. And they would do the supply staffing for us. Whereas off Broadway, we staff our own non-union crews with people typically we've worked with before, we've had a good reference about. So it's a slightly different process to doing Broadway and off-Broadway crew staffing, but we do both, yes. Got Um, it. Follow-up
0: to to that. Is it, have you noticed major staffing problems post-COVID with people leaving the business? I mean, with all of the issues you've been talking about with like the great resignation, I just can't imagine that there are that many people dying to work to be like electricians on off-Broadway shows. So I'm curious about those staffing issues.
1: Well, yeah, it has been a problem. I mean, we estimate that between 30 and 40% of the labor pool in the theater gig-based crew world went and found other jobs.
0: Wow, um, that's
1: huge. It's huge. It's really huge. Um, and you know, I mean, a lot of it is out of necessity. You know, we all have bills to pay. And there was no work or very limited work for, I'm going to say, 14 to 15 months.
0: Yeah.
1: And that was so challenging. We tried to keep our crews going by doing retail store windows, virtual presentations, some sorts of you know corporate and industrial pop-up things. But really, it wasn't anywhere like the volume of work we were doing in 2019. In terms of Making sure that we, or let me say it a different way, in terms of attracting people to this life, I would say that we are working with colleges, both local and regional, to develop great connections with their theater programs, their technical theater programs, to get people who want work placements right out of college in to work with us, and to also train with some people who have been doing this for years.
0: Right. Also,
1: yeah. And also, you know, it appeals to people who want a really flexible schedule, right? Because it's not every day, it's not nine to five. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's weekends and evenings. You know, a lot of the people who work with us have other jobs and, you know, they work in the hospitality industry, they're servers or waiters or front desk clerks at hotels, all kinds of different things and they like that kind of freedom in their daily schedule and we don't we we don't make them give us a commitment for a certain amount of time or certain jobs we simply write them emails and call them up and say hey are you available for these dates and they can say yes or no and it doesn't affect their employment status with us at all mm-hmm. sometimes i say it's a little glib but intuitive is a club that costs nothing to join we'll call you and say, Hey, you want to work? No. Okay. We'll call the next person. Hey, you want to work? Yeah. Getting back to what you were saying before though, about where did the concept for doing this sort of model come from? There definitely were a couple of other companies or firms that were creating this sort of group ethic, this uh, team ethos for a production company, backstage services. And we were seeing their success. Also, It arose from something we were discussing even earlier, which is a fact that production managers don't have unions. So to band together as production managers, technical directors, non-union crew, meant that we were helping each other find work. I might say, hey, I can't do that, but I know somebody who is available at that time. And we would pass the work off to them. Now, in fact, we are keeping the work within our company, even though we're passing the work off to somebody else who works with us.
0: That's really interesting. Again, I'm going to ask maybe like an idiot question. A lot of theaters or opera companies or dance companies probably have a production manager who works there. Like you did it at Signature. I'm sure the Metropolitan Opera has one. And then Intuitive caters to companies or productions that are looking to outsource. Is that, is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's a pretty good assessment. The other thing is sometimes companies are growing and they don't have the resources now to have a dedicated full-time in-house production manager, but they might be able to in three or four years. We worked with a really great company in Naples, Florida, Opera Naples, and they were transitioning from hiring someone by the show to wanting to hire a full-time staff person. And we spent three and a half seasons with them getting them from point A to point B. The trick is not to feel sad when they say, oh, we found somebody full-time and we can afford that now. No, we got them where they needed to go. And we are so delighted to have worked with them for that time. And now we're going to help another company get to the next step in their growth process.
0: It's so interesting because also I feel like You know, being an actor, being a stage manager, even being a sort of freelance production manager, as you say, has a certain flexibility, like you're working on this show and then you're working on this show. And I'm sure that was something you enjoyed about the life. But now that you have this business, you're also sort of like production managing your own small business, like 24 seven. Was that (laughs) was that transition from the sort of freelance life into the small business owner CEO? life tough for you or were you like used to it you were like this is just like production managing
1: well actually there was a great relief for me because as a freelancer as a production manager or a stage manager there's always this like okay what's my next show and Mm -hmm. maybe it's not what's the next one but what's the one three shows from now where there isn't anything scheduled and we get so busy Mm -hmm. that and we get so wrapped up in the show we're doing that it's hard to remember to put your name out there, to go on playbill.com or offstagejobs.com and check all those posts to make the phone calls, send those emails and letters to really put yourself out there. And sometimes people do just call you, but you really do have to keep promoting yourself. And as a freelancer, if you don't have time, you don't have time. But now we can act as a team we can be stronger as a group. And my business partner, Scott, when he's really busy, I'm covering for him with some of the paperwork stuff, doing payroll, making sure that we're sending out emails to people who are looking for production management or other labor. And when I'm really busy, he's doing that work for me. So the fact that we are stronger together really helps us be more effective And also reach out to a wider clientele.
0: Do you feel like there's a growing demand for a company like Intuitive?
1: Well, I mean, if our workload is any indicator of that, then I think there is. I think that more and more companies want total solutions, right? They would rather concentrate on what they do well, as opposed to doing everything a little piecemeal. Mm. By hiring a firm like Intuitive, they are able to say, okay, we know that you're going to handle all of this stuff on this side of the aisle. And we can go back to concentrating on being a producer, a director, an artistic director, an executive director. And I don't have to do eight of the jobs that I used to do that now I know you will take care of. So I think there is a growing demand. I think it's removes the hurdles for people to do their best work whether that's creative team or you know the administrative team so yes I really do think there is a greater demand and we've been noticing the uptick
0: Mm. does it does that include our sort of immediately post-covid time what's your temperature check on the industry right now
1: you know in the olympics when you see the the relay running races that relay you know especially the yeah. long distance ones they all, they don't all start in a line they start around the oval staggered and because of the you know lessening distance on the inside everybody does get an equal start basically right that's the way it used to be pre covid everybody was a little staggered and This company that did shows near this company or in the same theater or they were down the block from each other, they knew what their schedules were and they would space it out so that artists could work with multiple companies and do as many shows as possible in a given year. Now, post-COVID, when they opened the theaters pretty much all at the same time, everybody had been so excited to do a new production for 14-15 months that everybody started at the same time so now you've got all these relay runners who are tripping over each other as they try to get to the finish line and there needs to be a little bit of just staggering of the schedules the timelines of performances of, of artistic seasons that will naturally fall out over the next couple of years but really it's there's been a lot of People in the industry, especially on the technical and production side that I speak to are saying, oh, God, everybody's doing everything at the same time. Everybody wants everything right now. We're not able to keep up with the volume of work. The the lighting rental houses, the video shops, the costume shops are saying we don't have enough people to fill all these requests. So between the demand for productions the timeline, and also the loss of labor, it's been really challenging to keep everything on time and on budget. Do you know about the good, fast, cheap triangle?
0: Can't say that I do. Oh, maybe I have this, maybe from you, but (laughs) explain it to me again.
1: Sorry, I know you're the one who's supposed to be asking the questions here. No,
0: please, please.
1: Imagine an isosceles triangle that has a word written on each corner, right? Okay. Uh, on each vertice, it says good, fast, and cheap, right? We draw this triangle a lot. And sure. before the pandemic, we would say, all right, you can pick any two because if it's good and it's fast, it's going to be expensive. If it's fast and it's cheap, it's not going to be good. Post-COVID, a lot of people are saying, I think you can only pick one. That sounds a little glib, but we have to work harder to pick two is really what I'm saying.
0: Oh, that's, well, first of all, I think that's a great analogy, but also dark that we can only pick one now, (laughs) but I think something it's true that I didn't even realize before COVID. And I think the average listener may not realize is that while there may be different actors in all of the different shows you may see in New York or even regionally, the people working behind the curtain are often the same. Like the same crews load in almost all the Broadway shows and load them out. And so, if that workforce is diminishing, but we're still churning out shows at the same rate, or even an even faster rate, because of as you said, everyone trying to, you know, jumpstart their seasons post COVID, it's just like not going to work. And all of the people that I have spoken to through the show are just like socially who work behind the scenes are having such almost catastrophic levels of burnout right now. Are you experiencing that?
1: Yeah, I just got back from a great vacation. So I will say that my level of burnout is a little lower. But right before I left, I was I was in a pretty stressed out place. I wouldn't call it burnout, but it was challenging. And burnout is real. It's one of the things that... We are trying to fight by having a team-based process at Intuitive, making sure that some people get a break and a rest. And also, we try to be super communicative, not only with our crews, but we want our crews to be communicative with us and say, wow, I, just, I need a mental health day. Can you book somebody else? And we try to make that happen. But yeah, we do experience burnout and we get people coming to us who work for us and say, I need some time off. I'm going to take some personal time and myself, you know, I thank God it was such a nice vacation, but as soon as I got back, it was right back to three shows that are coming right up. So we're something we deal with on a daily basis.
0: Absolutely. Production manager is that intuitive. How would you say that you approach a show differently than say an in-house production manager? Is it different?
1: Maybe a little. So I think that really what I was saying before, we're a team, right? Yeah. We approach it like a team. We want to make sure that everybody on the team has the same buy-in, the same stakeholder relationship with the show, and that that's really important for us. It also means that if, God forbid, I you know, have a sick day or need a personal day, that there's always someone to step right in who knows what's going on and we don't have to take time to get them up to speed or we have to take very little time. Right. And also, you know, I always say it takes a village. You know, I know that that is a much touted expression, but it really does. We can accomplish more together than we can individually. You know, one of my favorite movies is my cousin, Vinny. Do you, do you like that movie?
0: I've actually never seen it, which is kind of crazy.
1: I think you'd like it. I think you would really enjoy it, but at the end, it's maybe the second to last line. Marisa Tomei says, it's amazing. You you win all of your cases, but with someone else's help. And it's just a reminder that we actually don't do anything in this life by ourselves. Mm-hmm. To say that we did something by ourselves is a fallacy, and to acknowledge that we do everything as a team, and to move forward that way, I think is a strength that you can work from, and that we try to implement that in the theater. Not to say that in-house production managers don't do that. A lot of organizations have really great teams but it's the place that we start from
0: right what would you say speaking of what would you say your process is like like you get hired to do show x in like three weeks well the show is not in three weeks but in three weeks you get hired take me through what your process is like
1: Well, we usually have a little back and forth about contract negotiation for intuitive. We settle on all of the details. Then we have an initial artistic meeting Then we come up with a Google Drive or a Dropbox sharing solution. That's always right up front. And then it's schedules and budgets, right? Sometimes those have been created and need a little tweaking before they get sent out. Sometimes those need a lot of work to get that to the place where it's ready to be approved. And then we send that out and we assemble the team. Uh, Do we have the designers in place? Do we need to find designers? Once the designers in place, we need to have artistic meetings with the director to ensure that everybody's on the same page with the director's vision. How much are we collaborating as a group? How much is this a clear vision by the director that we need to execute? And that's going to be the expectation. So that first process is all about setting expectations for the creative and artistic and administrative teams. Then once we get that kind of work underway, we'll start having regular production meetings. We'll start hiring our crew, especially the crew heads that need to interface with the different designers to get rental lists created, to send out bids to the scene shop or the costume shop for what needs to get built. Are we going to build some of this stuff in house or on the stage to save money? How does what is designed affect what the budget is? How does what the budget is affect how we need to change or modify the design? And those are back and forth conversations, negotiations that we need to have all the way through the process. And then this is not my process, but at, in a parallel function, the cast, there are auditions for the cast. They get hired. They go into rehearsals. While they're rehearsing, sometimes in the theater, but mostly off-site, We're preparing all of the technical elements so that the show is loaded in the week, typically, before tech starts. And then the performers come to the stage for that that first day of tech, and everything's ready and safe for them to take the stage. You were talking earlier about tech being the most stressful moment and the longest hours. The most stressful moment for me is the moment between the end of the load-in, and the beginning of the tech. Because it's that day when everybody shows up. Is everybody happy? Is everybody getting what they expected? Part of that is about clear communication ahead of time. But also part of that is about the first moment you walk into the room and you say, oh, I didn't realize that curtain would be there. Or wait a minute, that speaker needs to move over to the left, to stage left, another foot and a half. And you go, Okay, I'll take a note and we'll fix that. I was talking about this with a new dear friend today. It's always hardest to get to Q1. This is something we say a lot backstage. Once you get to Q1 in the tech process, then you start moving, the train starts chugging along and you say, oh, this is like that moment. Or now you have a reference to this moment over here. This is louder, this is quieter, this is brighter, this is darker. You have something to compare it to until you get to that first moment in tech where you're creating the show with full tech and full production values, then you don't have anything to compare it to except what you've seen in your mind's eye before that.
0: That's totally true. I feel like even just from like an actor director perspective, I feel like I often get frustrated with the aspect of tech that's like, You get there for the performer call. It takes like a billion years to put on costumes because everyone's like, wait, this is different than I thought. Oh, la la. And then you get on the stage and everyone's figuring it out and you do a walkthrough. And then literally as you're about to start the show, they're like, okay, we have to take a break. Like it's been an hour and a half. <laughs> and then truly it's almost like the end of the first, you're almost at dinner by the time you get to Q1. So I think you're absolutely right. That is the most, that is the witching hour in in the tech process. And <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're right for people that don't have tech experience or aren't necessarily like visual people, you get to tech day one and nothing is ever how you thought it was going to be i know as an actor you think back to day one the designer the designers give their presentations and they have a little set model and i almost always phase that out which is maybe bad but i'm always like i have no idea what that (laughs) what that means so that's so interesting to to note and it's just so it's so important what you do i want to bring us back to something we mentioned earlier you obviously do a lot of different kinds of live performance. Do you prefer working in opera versus theater versus dance? What are the major differences between those genres as a production manager?
1: Well, anytime you put an orchestra in the pit, you have added a lot of extra moving parts and production values to a show, whether that's a musical or an opera you know i love working in opera i think that opera is all of the possible performative art forms that we can throw at a single performance and at once that you know you've got your sets your singers your projections these days big costumes incredible wig hair and makeup live musicians rigging, all different kinds of things going on, sometimes traps in the floors, you know, Don Giovanni, where Commendatore comes up from hell and drags Don Giovanni down. All these different crazy things that we do in opera are synthesized to create a spectacle of a presentation. So that's the way it was done without the projections, of course, in the 16 and 1700s, 1800s, not so much in the 16, but the 17 and 1800s. And that's the way it's done now. It's still done at a very high production values level. And that's one of the things that I love about it. There was this really avant-garde production of the Ring Cycle that the Met did a couple of years ago. And it cost a lot of money and it was not everybody's favorite, but it really pushed the boundaries of what we could do in opera. And I think it really shocked a lot of people into trying new things, trying bigger and more exciting things especially where video is concerned but i i love working in opera because it is like you know in theater we're juggling molotov cocktails we're juggling things that are on fire and now in opera we're juggling chainsaws that are on fire (laughs) i just it's a difficulty level that takes it up a big notch not to say that theater itself isn't difficult because it's just a different animal. Often in theater, we're working in greater microcosm. We're okay. working under the microscope because we want to examine a specific moment or a specific idea more deeply. And in opera, we're talking about big themes, large concepts, all too often. Not always like that. I
0: don't see a lot of operas done with like four chairs on a like minimalist set. It definitely can be done, but I think you're right that their production values tend to be bigger, as you say. Right. We mentioned earlier, too, that in addition to all of these amazing things, you also run this museum. So can you tell me a little bit about that and how you balance that with your career as a production manager?
1: Sure. America's Packard Museum is the largest public collection of Packard automobiles and artifacts in the world. It's in Dayton, Ohio, where I grew up. My father founded the museum 30 years ago in 1992. Yeah, we had our 30th anniversary this year. And sadly, he passed away three years ago. I had been on the board for a long time. And the board asked me if I would step in, in a temporary basis, so that we could transition to a new director. Three years later, here I am still transitioning, but helping the museum get back on better footing financially, administratively educationally curatorially and we're doing a great job we had our most successful gala event ever in 30 years last april we had more attendees than we've ever had and we raised more funds for the museum than ever in our 30-year history at our annual gala so it was a big success and we're building on that currently we We just hired a couple of new people to work at the museum. It's an exciting place. I've always had a love for classic cars. And I think some of that was maybe brainwashing from my dad, but I love driving. I love working on cars. I love the art and artistry that is the styling of cars and the history of that in America. I also love the idea that cars fueled our American independent spirits from the 1890s through today, that some people feel like they can just jump in a car and go. And that makes them an independent person. They don't have to, you know, wait for a train, be on a schedule, go where everybody else is going on the plane or the bus, they can strike out on their own. There's something sort of magical and romantic about that idea. Although, All of the Packards are fossil fuel burning cars. I'm not strictly a a gas head, as they say. I like electric cars, modern electric cars. And also, I like telling the story that there were electric cars at the turn of the last century and, you know, how those went away and how those came back. So, no, I just, I love working for America's Packard Museum, so much so that I'm actually getting my master's from Harvard right now in museum studies, which is yet another thing that I've added to my crazy schedule.
0: Damn, no no wonder you needed a vacation.
1: Right, exactly. Uh, Um,
0: It sounds like we need to find or write a musical or opera that features old Packard cars that somehow is about... American history of the car and you can production manage it and it will be <laughs> sort of a full circle moment for you.
1: Worlds collide. <laughs>
0: do you find that the skill that you use any of the same skills in your capacity at the Packard Museum that you do as a production manager?
1: Oh, all the time. Really? I mean, working working in a museum is all about project management, right? Making sure that small projects are being carried out while larger initiatives keep marching, marching forward as well. So you know, making sure that in the theater world we're renting the lights and renting the audio with the larger goal of making sure everything shows up on time to be installed so that we can be ready for tech. Now it's, okay, is this small four-car exhibit getting prepared for opening at our gala event in April? And do we have the meeting with the caterers to get the tables and the linens and the chairs set up? Oh, it's almost exactly the same thing. In fact, we have an audience come in too. They're our patrons right? and they pay good money to come through the door. And we want to make sure that we give them the best possible production slash presentation that they can possibly get. So absolutely, totally analogous to the production world. I was doing a huge budget the other day for the museum and the board said, wow, this is really good. Is this new to you? And I said, no, I've been doing this for 20 years. So...
0: Yeah. I was going to ask you when you started, because I I don't think stage managers work with budgets per se. They just sort of put the show on. So when you started production managing, was it just like logical common sense or had you worked with budgets before?
1: I had done some work with budgets before. I actually asked my parents who are both successful business people to talk me through working on budgets, which they had done a lot more of than I had. I also did get to assist some production managers and talk about how they attack budgets. And really it's a skill where you have to not only know what things cost and how to find out what things cost and what's reasonable and what's unreasonable, But then also be able to communicate that to the people who are affected by those budgets and say, actually, we think we need you to cut down a little bit. We have some room in the budget if you want to add a little bit. We hardly ever say that. But, you know, be respectful and responsible, but making sure that we adhere to the budget because all too often that is all we can spend. There is not some magical pot of money out there that we can draw on that budget was created for a very serious reason and we have to adhere to it or else we might lose our jobs as production managers so yeah yeah it's it was definitely a learning curve for me but i feel like i've got a great handle on it after doing it for 10 plus years
0: do you have advice for aspiring production managers who may be listening
1: that's a good question. Yeah. Going back to something else like I said, stay cool under fire. Be a cool as the cucumber all the time. You know, learn how to absorb that theater energy, that excitable energy that we all know really comes out of a desire to put on the best possible show and isn't about tension. It is tension creating, but if you can absorb it and Turn it around in a positive way. Staying positive is so important. Also, be the best communicator you can be. Over-communicate, even when the answer is, I don't have any more news for you today, but I'll have news for you tomorrow. That's something that I still work on every day and people really respond well to. Mm -hmm. And lastly, never forget to admit if you've been wrong. Mm -hmm. If you've been wrong or you made a mistake, fess up to it, own up to it, Mm -hmm. don't dwell on it. Don't blame, just move forward, but don't try to sidestep it. Face your fears, as they say. Address it head on, apologize, and move forward.
0: I think that's good advice for life in general. So I think anyone listening can use that. To end, I want to end with my my ending segment that I always do, which is the thank you five segment, which is five rapid fire questions. So just answer the first thing that comes to your head. First of which... What's one thing you wish more people knew about production management?
1: That we work really early in the morning till really late at night.
0: (laughs) Goes back to our discussion of sleep earlier. Do you have a favorite car that's in the Packard Museum?
1: Oh, absolutely. It's the 1903 Gray Wolf. It's the first automobile that ever traveled 60 miles an hour. It broke the land speed record in 1904, if you can imagine that, 60 miles an hour.
0: Do you have a favorite opera you've ever worked on or a favorite show you've ever worked on?
1: Yeah. I mean, I love Verterre by Massenet. It's really hopelessly romantic. It's really dense music, super great French poetry. And he shoots himself at the end. I mean, it's a, if you've seen the recent Met production, it's a big bloody mess. It's love and unrequited love and death and children singing Christmas carols. It's, Dark and wonderful. I love that show. And it's a little underrepresented on the stage.
0: I'll have to go see it. I've never seen it. A funny technical thing to go wrong while you were production or stage managing.
1: I think it goes back to the dog that just kept biting me. That was my, my very- oh, like, first...
0: It wasn't like one time, it was consistent. Oh, oh no,
1: I over the course of a month, I must've been bitten 15 or 16 times by that dog. Oh, and here's the thing. One night, the guy who played the bellhop didn't show up for his entrance. So I had to rip off my headset. He only had three lines. I went on stage. I handed the dog off. I said, she walked to the grandstands, Mrs. Ames. And I turned around and I walked back off stage. And I got lots of pats from the cast and the director after the show.
0: So good. So good. And lastly, what would you say is a production manager's essential? So this could be like a literal thing, like a good day planner or something, or a metaphorical thing like organization or joy or something like that.
1: Yeah, staying positive. Joy really actually is a good way of saying it. Staying positive. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of stress. It's a lot of fun. Get to really do some incredible work and help people do their best work.
0: Well, thank you so much, Rob. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. I know you have to go. I could talk to you for hours more. I hope people learned more about production management and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much.